Today we're going to talk about what I'm calling absorbing God's Word, because uh, I certainly don't want it to be um, only teaching, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But absorbing, what you want is God's Word to get down into your children and for them to have a relationship with the Lord through His Word. My sense of God's Word is that's the doorway into relationship with the Lord. When it talks about the Word of God being active and alive, that's really the doorway into how we develop a relationship with the Lord. And hopefully the way we talk about God's Word today, that'll make some more sense. Um, If you turn to the or look at the first page of your handout. At the top I say, Helping your children absorb God's Word. Raising fallen children in a fallen world often leads to despair, resignation, or frustration in a parent. I'll say this. My, my definition of a good parent is someone who's decided not to give up. Okay? <laughs> um, because, as I've, I've said each class, like you want to do this better than anything. And it will expose, and we'll talk a little bit more about that today, what you do well and what you don't do well. And oftentimes makes you want to resign or give up. So I think a good parent is someone who's connected to the Lord in a way where they stay present to their children and continue to shepherd them forward. Okay? So, however, the hope of the gospel helps fathers to be less frustrated and mothers to be less afraid. I'm, I'm taking what I believe are two core issues for the one for the husband and one for the wife that kind of thwarts hopefulness in the parent. All right? if, if a man is growing in tenderness, something about the gospel is working in his heart. If a woman is letting go of control and really growing a rest in the future, then I think something's working in her heart. Okay, That's gospel hope. Parents who are hopeful are not burdened by their parental responsibility. In essence, they believe, God is raising my children, I'm trying to get an assist. Right? I'm not that important to this equation. Again, I've said this the other two classes. We're going to bring our loaves and fishes to the process. All right? We're going to bring a little. And we're, our prayer and belief is that God can multiply that in raising our children. All right? um, this frees father to be tender and mothers to be winsome, which creates an atmosphere that invites children to be authentic. As this authentic... Authenticity comes alive in a hopeful atmosphere. It helps children to hear the Word of God and grow into Christ-likeness. Let me say this. I believe the posture that the evil one is trying to get all of us into is a posture kind of like this. All right? I believe the Gospel, the Lord is the lifter of our countenance. I believe the Gospel is trying to do this. As we have a home, as we have an atmosphere in a home that really helps our children to lift their countenance and not be afraid of their brokenness or afraid of their hopes then I believe that they become a vessel where the Word of God can begin to be poured into them and that they can absorb it. All right, That's what we're aiming for. So I first want to talk a little bit about hopefulness of the mother and father t- before we get to um, kind of how do, how do we teach the Word of God to our children or help them absorb it. And this is just by way of reminder. It's not that you don't know this, okay? But I think the fundamental issue in terms of gospel maturity is the fact that Christ died for our sins and and it's done. In Hebrews it says, after He sacrificed, He sat down. He was done dealing with sin. Okay. My question is, are you living in the belief of that and the rest of that? Because if if you're not secure in the sense that your performance isn't going to be perfect and that doesn't matter, 
Okay, you don't have to have a perfect performance, or I would say as a parent, really even great performance to raise good kids, all right? But that belief fundamentally comes from your rest in the fact that Christ died for you, that he has sat down, he's not dealing with sin anymore, all right? Your sin is not the issue, in essence. Now, in Hebrews it also says, let's not go back to the fundamentals of repentance from evil deeds. So it also, that also means that you have grown into repentance. You know what that means. You've practiced it. And that's what's connected you to the Lord. And that's what gives you buoyancy. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about how we have a gracious high priest that we can run to in our time of need. But the Hebrew, they were, the audience in the book of Hebrews were believers who had been Hebrew and they become Christians. And they were still sinning. So they thought, we'll put the law back on top of Jesus and that'll make us perfect. And in that book, it says, no, 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 you've got a gracious high priest. You, as you run to him, you'll find rest. So I'll just say this. I think what really makes you good parents is becoming children again with the Lord, where he holds you and your sinfulness, and you're not as unnerved by the fact that you continue to sin. Here's why that's important. Because if you're still really unnerved by the fact that you can't get it right, then your kids will frustrate you and irritate you in a way you don't want. Because they will. Your children are little flesh balls. Okay, They're full of the flesh and sin. And they will know how to push your buttons at an age before they even know what they're doing. All right. And if you're not rested, that your performance is not the big deal when it comes to being a parent, if you don't know how to rest in Christ's forgiveness, then I believe you'll be more weighed down in how you relate to your children. Okay? This is Stanley Howarus. He says, um, we do not place our hope in our children. Our children are a sign of our hope that God has not abandoned this world. I think it's a profound statement. All right? If you in your own life, ha- your countenance is lifted and you have great hope about tomorrow because you have seen Christ work in your life and you know that sanctification is gradual and you have great confidence that two months from now, you're going to be more redeemed, not because you're great, but because Christ is going to keep pursuing you, then you have hope, not only about your own life, but about this world, because you're connected to somebody much bigger. That's what you need to be growing into to help your children absorb God's Word. Okay? So I'll talk a little bit about specifically what that means for a father and a mother. Okay? Back to the little handout. I have a couple passages there um, below my paragraph. Let's read a couple of the passages. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Realize tenderness and compassion are adjectives we use to describe a father. And I would love if in our culture we were affirming masculine tenderness and compassion in a large way because it's what our children need. All right. And remember, after that verse where it says God is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate, he says... It says that he knows that we're but dust and that we're weak. I think the tendency in a man is, I don't want to have to endure that much with my children. I want them to get it together so it doesn't require too much of me. Okay, That is the opposite of tenderness and compassion. All right. So then we have the two New Testament verses. Fathers, don't aggravate your children. If you do, they will become discouraged and quit trying. And now a word to you fathers. Don't make your children angry by the way you treat them. I said this last week. There's only three imperative commands in the New Testament. Two of them are to husbands. The first imperative command is children, obey your parents. 
to husbands, really what it's, or to dads, what it's saying is your tendency is to not be as thoughtful and open about the way you relate. So be thoughtful and open about the way you relate. Even be willing to listen to your wife, who will think she knows way more about child rearing than you, which is not exactly true, okay? But learn to listen to her so you can grow into being the type of dad that you want to be, all right? So I just want you to think, as a dad, growing tenderness and compassion helps contribute to an atmosphere where your children are able to lift their countenance and be open about their hopes, about their sins, about all that plagues them. A gospel is meant for broken people. If children do not grow into a comfortability with their brokenness, they will not learn to love the gospel. It is meant for broken people. Okay, Does that make sense a little bit? So let's talk about moms a little bit. Hopeful mothers are winsome. I love the word winsomeness. This is coming from Proverbs. I have it there, 31.25. She's clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs with no fear of the future. Laughing with no fear of the future is winsomeness. Now, why I believe that's hard for women is because you're physically more vulnerable in this world. I believe, and there's not time to unpack it biblically, but I also believe you're relationally more vulnerable. I believe there's a vulnerability women have in this world that's often taken advantage of. It's hard to lift your countenance and to be confident about the future. Another reason is women do not compartmentalize in how they think and process. Okay, So, women are, they're in this moment where your kid's doing something wrong and they're in 17 moments prior to that where they did things wrong and are still struggling with. And they're in 17 moments forward of that where their child is now, like whatever they're doing wrong now, they're able to envision the adult manifestation of that. (laughs) And they're all in those moments at the same time, like getting super weighed down and thinking, how are we going to protect these kids and keep them safe? I can remember when my oldest and my wife, and I may have shared this story, were fighting about, uh, she wanted a two-piece bathing suit. And my wife gave her all the reasons not to have a two-piece bathing suit out of her fear. And my daughter said back to her, you made me now afraid of a bunch of things I've never thought of. Okay? She was so afraid, like not wanting her to get a two-piece bathing suit or that she wanted one, she gave her all these reasons out of pressure not to do it. It was really control. Okay? That's not winsomeness. That's not laughing with no fear of the future. Okay? I have another passage there. But women will be saved through childbearing or they will be saved by accepting their role as mothers and by continuing to live in faith, love, holiness, and modesty. What I have in parentheses there is an alternative reading of the passage in the New Living Translation. To me, what they're getting at is the the context, the um, mood of the Genesis curse. When it says women will be saved um, by childbearing, that's a reference back back to the curse in Genesis, where it says, um, what's the curse? Your desire will be for husband, you will rule over you. There'll be pain in bringing forth children. That's just not literal pain in childbirth. I believe it's also metaphorical. Women suffer partly because they can't compartmentalize what their children go through. I think more than their children. All right. Whatever my children were going through, it was much harder on my wife than it was on them. All right. I remember going to our first back to school night in Homewood Middle School. And again, because my wife can't compartmentalize, she was going through nine years of middle school in one night, thinking about all three of our girls going through middle school. And at the end of the night, like she was sunken down. And I was like, her, fa- her face was ashen white. And I went, I just went to her and I put my arms around her and I said, sweetie, let me take all those arrows out of your heart. Like Jesus is much bigger than this middle school. Okay? 
So I just, if that puts some words to, I think women struggle a lot with a fear of the future. And to have hope, to believe that Jesus is enough for your kids. One, one last story. We were, this was only about four or five years ago, we were at a 25th anniversary party for friends of ours. So we were meeting a bunch of people from their past that we didn't know, all right? And we're meeting this couple, and, you know, my wife says she's got three daughters, and at that point, you know, they're all teenagers, and they go, isn't that really, really hard? And, and I thought, this is a perfect opportunity for my wife to do what she normally does when it comes to kids, talk about how hard it is and how worried she is and all that kind of stuff. And she said back to them, they're really good kids. And I was like, what? It? Huh? <laughs> and that's where she was being more owned by the gospel and hope that Jesus held them. Okay? All right. So let's turn a little bit to teaching the children the word. All right? Hopeful parents help children hear the Word of God, to really hear it and ingest it. As parents taste the Gospel and are more and more reconciled to God, their love for Him becomes more natural and passionate. Your desire for your children to know God's Word can be lived as a heartfelt burden that helps them want to absorb His Word. This passion in Thessalonians. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. I, my sense would be, for believing parents, you would have a real burden, similar to what I just read, that your children would really be connected to God's Word. That it would be something they loved and that it was a doorway into relationship with the Lord. Okay? So I believe as you're connected to that, as you have encountered Jesus through the Word, it's just something now you sense, I'm a mediator, I'm a bridge to help my children experience that same relationship with the Lord. And the Word of God is the way there. All right? So there's three ways I believe we teach our children. All right? The inspired Word, we teach all three ways. Auditory, kinesthetic, and visual. Let me say, let me express what I mean here. Auditory is what I'm doing right now. This is linear. Teaching, talking, reading, processing. Okay? In general... That's the way we teach in the church. And we don't look at how we teach kinesthetically, which is the way we relate to our children. Okay? You can say all day long that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But if you lead like Gentile leaders and put the law on your children by the way you relate to them, they're not going to hear that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Okay? So you have to teach them auditory, what you say, kinesthetic, and then visual. You can talk with them about the beauty of married life if they don't see visually y'all growing together through the years. And they don't see you talking differently about one another through the years. All right? Then they're not going to really hear what you're saying. And just side note, okay, for those of you who have younger children, we don't retain much memory, okay, before the age of six. Right, so you got some time, all right? Like, I think a lot of children will say, I never really saw my parents maybe disagree that much. We had, our disagreements were much harder. They, we were softening as our kids were getting older. And even now, I think they would think on some level, they haven't seen us disagree as much, although they, they have real memory of that. So just, you have time to, if you're a younger married couple, all right? But three ways, auditory, kinesthetic, visual. I think the main thing, the main way we're teaching is application. 
you are doing practical theology or application with your children of the larger biblical truths. All right? What I mean by that is that I have a passage in Deuteronomy there, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on a way in a journey, when you are lying down and when you are getting up again. I don't, I don't say this to place a burden on you, but it's, the reality is you're always teaching your children about God's Word. Always. And they're looking to you to teach them. All right? But what you're to do most is application. And I talked a little bit about this last week, so I'm not going to go over it. But each of your children has a bent. And you're trying to help them understand what the Gospel means for them in particular. Like I talked about my firstborn, who tends to be a little bit more self-righteous. I had at times had to hold up truth to her. She's not the mother. She's not the one in control. Like, And we had to keep telling her that. At 21, 22, she takes her seat more as not the parent. Okay, she's gotten more of it at 21, 22. All right? So realize that application goes on and on and on. I, I, I want to try to read a passage, but my phone wasn't working. Does anyone have their Bible with them? All right. Um, this is this is it's Second Timothy two, like twenty three, where it talks about don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments. The Lord's servant must be not be quarrelsome, but must be patient and able to teach difficult people. And if you do that, then perhaps they will escape from the devil's trap because he's held them captive. You all know, like whatever the age of accountability is, and whatever the gospel starts working in our children. It doesn't happen to be those first number of years where they're in your presence. Okay, As I said, they're little flesh balls. So you have to keep going back and forth between this grace and truth to apply what the Gospel means for them. And let me just say this. We think auditorily if we just teach them that like you're totally depraved and Jesus died for you and all these big things that they'll get it. They don't get it without regular application. Does that make sense? That's all I'm trying to get at. All right? So... Um, Let's move down a little bit to the note I have there. You teach your children so much in the way you love them. You can also hide behind religious activity. Love, application, teaching is the order in which you help your child learn the Word of God. Okay? I want to say something. As parents, oftentimes you're feeling like we've got to be consistent. All right? I want to tell you, I personally think functional consistency, where you do the same thing the same way all the time, is garbage. Okay, you can please try to be functionally consistent. And you want to hurt your children? Work really hard to be functional consistent. Because the only way you will feel functionally consistent is if, if they become liars. Does that make any sense how I said that? Okay. What I want you to believe is gospel consistency. I am here by God's design and calling and I will never run away from my calling to be a picture of Jesus to you and in any way I can grow into that more and more all the days of our life that's what I'm committed to not being consistent 24-7 because with ball games and sicknesses and visits to relatives and all the craziness that happens in this world try to have a schedule and try to be consistent but if you want to be functionally consistent it will rob your heart in a way where you will not be gospel consistent all right? And that goes along with this application and teaching the Word that way. All right, So let me um, give you just an example of this auditory kinesthetic visual all, right, all at once. 
This is my oldest daughter. She's, I don't know, four. And she loves cats. Got stuffed cats, ceramic kitties. And so we think we'll get her a cat. Good idea, right? So we get her a cat. And about two or three weeks in, the cat starts sleeping with her. And she starts waking up in the morning with allergic reactions. So we've got to get rid of the cat. All right. And the day we get rid of the cat, we're praying that night. And as we're talking about teaching, like we didn't pray every night and do devotions all the times, but we happened to be praying that night, partly because it was a difficult day. And um, my daughter prays, Jesus, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I don't thank you for making me allergic to cats. I'm really mad at you. And I said, Lord, I thank you for this and I thank you for that. I don't thank you for making Amy allergic to cats. I'm really mad at you about that. Okay. What I was trying to teach her there in a visual, kinesthetic, auditory way, that God is big enough to handle your hearts. And I'm going to meet here. I'm going to walk with you and the Lord all the days of your life and to help you get to know a God who's so much bigger than you and so much humbler than you that he welcomes your doubts and confusions. Okay? That moment was pregnant with a lot of teaching. All right? So that's one way, one example. All right? So. We want to teach the inspired Word of God all three ways, all right? And then, this is B. We want to teach the inspired Word of God and He brings it alive in certain situations. Specific biblical truths that are taught in the moment, teachable moments. So let me try to give you another example. It'll feel like similar to what I just said. This was my youngest daughter. I think biblically, the thing she felt most in our family was marginalized, all right? She was the weakest. And the evil one's always working against the weakest among you. We're always trying to teach our older two daughters. We never said it this directly, but if you're preaching the gospel, your little one's going to feel part of the party. Okay? Because when she showed up on the scene, my older two already had something going on, and it, and it always felt like to her like she was crashing the party. So, one day, this is a week or so after Christmas, I see my youngest really down, and she was kind of down all day, and so I asked her what was the matter. And she said her older two sisters are just mean, Amy and Abby. And so we talked a little bit about that. And we talked a little bit about how they excluded her a lot and marginalized her. I called my, my older two in and we talked about it again. And they you know, said that they would listen and keep trying. And they, they left. And my youngest daughter said, that's not going to help. And I felt on some level it's not going to help. Your older two daughters have a sin nature and older two sisters have a sin nature and they're going to grow into this slowly. You are going to continue to feel marginalized. And so I thought for my four-year-old or whatever she was, it was a good idea now for me to teach her about how all she really has is Jesus at the end of the day. So I began to teach her that. She began to cry. As a good counselor, I thought, I'm, re- I'm scoring. I'm hitting home. Then she says, Daddy, you mean that I've got to love Jesus more than you and mommy? Conceptually, she couldn't get what I was. She was four years old. I was trying to shove Jesus down her throat so that she wasn't hurting. Okay, and I began to weep a little bit and hug her and said, sweetie, just forget about what I said the last (laughs) ten minutes. Okay? No, you can love mommy and daddy. But what I did was I, I was marginalizing her in the way I was teaching her. And so in that moment, to bow down and give her a voice with me, said, sweetie, the the weakest among us tend to shame us and help us see a truth, all right? She is so observant and doesn't say a lot that when she speaks, she really, really speaks. One time, my, my, my oldest daughter was lamenting about her youngest sister and was like, what are Elisa's gifts? 
Like, does she have any gifts? My oldest is kind of um, like a typical firstborn, has many gifts in a lot of different ways, all right? And I said, and my firstborn is a truth teller. I said, Amy, when you walk into a party, the person in the room that you're not even in is confronted with the truth because you just so embody it, all right? I said, Elise, like she's so winsome and fun and free that she really connects with people and they really trust her and give herself. And then she says something and they're like, oh, my Lord, I never thought of that. Like her gift is that she can be sneaky and more winsome than you. You couldn't be winsome on your best day. And she was like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. She was a little humbled in her self-righteousness. Okay. All right. So what I want you to be thinking, remember last week when I said discernment is so important like i want you to be living that i don't have it figured out as a parent i'm trying to get to know god's word my child and the culture and trying to shepherd them forward and we're trying to shepherd them against the culture but if you're praying and believing that you're not alone then you're looking for moments when the lord shows up and crystallizes certain truths in your child's hearts okay I want you to be attentive that you are not alone. You're simply just wanting an assist and God will orchestrate moments, especially as as the way I talked last week, when you're really getting to know your child and the things they wrestle with, you're actually seeing what they're struggling with and you're praying and believing and waiting for times to speak into that. Does that make a little bit of sense? Okay. All right, let's turn to the last part. We want to teach the word first auditory, kinesthetic, visual, then we want to bring the word alive in certain instances where we really help our children connect with truths. I would say the third way is we want to teach the inspired word through creation. Children in our culture need to spend more time outside. I have a verse there, Romans 1.20. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities his eternal power, and his divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. God can clearly be seen through what has been made. The next verse, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. In an increasing urban culture, we have moved away. We're not an agrarian culture. We have moved away from our closeness to God's creation. And please, I'm not a pantheist, okay? But I really, like these verses say, I really believe God can be seen and appreciated through what's out there in nature. Let me ask you a simple question. Let's say you've gone hiking for a day or you've spent a day on the beach down at the Gulf or you've done whatever you enjoy doing outside and you're outside in the beauty of God's creation for an extended period of time. How many of you feel softened? How many of you feel closer to the Lord if you actually think about it? How many of you feel like, now i got to read my Bible, you feel like in some ways the Bible's been reading me all afternoon? Right? Okay? For my doctoral work, as a good evangelical, I was—I didn't think much about nature and God, all right? But in my doctor work, I had to do a paper in my individual spiritual enhancement class on how nature has enhanced your spirituality. So God brought me back to this moment in my life um, 
when uh, I grew up uh, less than a mile from the Atlantic Ocean. I may have told this story the first class. I don't know. I grew up a mile from the Atlantic Ocean on the Jersey Shore, not the one in MTV. Okay. Actually, it's a really quaint shore town if you ever got a chance to visit it. But um, and there was a lot of you know pain and craziness in my growing up. And so I would love to go down to the beach, and I was raised Roman Catholic, so I would pray, and I don't believe I had a relationship with the Lord, but I was religious, and I did pray. And I would often want to go to the beach to pray, and I would walk along the ocean, and there was something about the largeness of the ocean that comforted me and gave me rest, okay? So fast forward, I'm converted my freshman year in college, and then I come home, and what I want to do my first night home is go walk along the ocean. And I wept and wept and wept as I walked along the ocean. I, I just was overwhelmed by that moment. I didn't understand what was going on. Fifteen years later, as I'm doing, or 20, I don't even know, when I'm doing this paper on how nature has enhanced my spirituality, I said, not knowing God personally, it seems to me like how I saw Him and how He spoke to me through nature was something that kept me soft and growing toward Him. Okay? I know this may sound crazy, but if you really want your children to love God's Word, I think as a family we need to be more disciplined in spending time outdoors with our kids. And it's a little bit of a challenge in a very urban, busy culture okay, to really do that. Um, I became an urban camper for this reason. I think I told you some of that. All right, Where we would go to Oak Mountain State Park or like that and have electricity, like I'd run it to my electric frying pan, but we just had to be outdoors more because we were urban campers. All right. Here's this, um, I have this quote from Mary Piper. It says this, I think the natural world has great power to heal and restore broken families. Children need contact with the natural world. It's an antidote to advertising and gives them a different perspective on the universe. Looking at the Milky Way makes most of us feel small and yet a part of something vast. Television, with its emphasis on meeting every need, makes people feel self-important and yet unconnected to anything greater than themselves. I read this book, I don't know how long ago, but there weren't smartphones when I read this book, and I felt significantly convicted about how the nature of our world was making us bigger and God smaller. I'm way more convicted at that with the advance of smartphones. and I mean, so much of our life is being tailored to this little gadget that we carry around. And if you've got children who have phones, those phones are with them all the time, probably like y'all. And one of the beautiful things, if you really want to get out into nature, oftentimes your cell phone doesn't work, which is a really good thing. Okay? All right. We've got about five minutes. If um, anybody was comfortable enough to ask questions, I'd be glad to dialogue a little bit. Any questions on that? I think it's, I think it's 2 Timothy 2.23. Is that right, Mark? You know? It's be patient with difficult people and... Um, I think that's it. And it really says, it's such a beautiful passage. I mean, if you actually, you got to, they're not talking about child rearing, but if you moved it down, it would really apply. Because it talks about how your patience and endurance with them helps them maybe escape a trap, you know, caught where they're caught in by the devil. And I can remember like just being overwhelmed raising my daughters. Where do law and grace fit into all of this? Where am I supposed to be strong? Where am I supposed to be kind? It was very overwhelming at times. Um, and that's where I kept trying to believe, like, all right, I'm their dad, Dawn is their mom, like, this is what they've got. We've just got to keep trying to lean forward and believe Jesus shows up the next day. 
Remember, a good parent is someone who's decided not to give up. All right. Yeah. And she's she is a great child, but mm-hmm. at home sometimes I get very just like this morning, very frustrated. I lashed out at her. Mm-hmm. But do you have any hints for what you should say to yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I would really say I would try to encourage you to be able to laugh a little bit at your sin, not like ha ha, but I don't think it owns the moment. And and let me tell you why. I will I will have parents come in who have younger children, and they'll come in because they want to see me about this horrible moment where they broke down with their children. And what I have to say to them is, if you don't continue to grow in the gospel and you don't get better and you and your you and your husband don't continue to grow together, then that episode becomes start, part of a painful story. But if you grow together and you soften, and you and your husband continue to grow together, then that pain becomes part of a beautiful story. Okay? I'll just, again, I'll give you, I probably have told this story, but, like, there's a place where I just, I could tell you 17 million stories of where my anger overwhelmed my girls earlier in their life. Okay? But the amazing thing is, I continue to soften and change. And so my 19-year-old doing missions last year, we FaceTimed for her birthday, and she put a picture of us FaceTiming. It was on my birthday, and she said to my everyday counselor, father, and friend. Okay? My anger didn't end up wounding her forever because I continued to grow in the Lord. And my daughters know I mostly continued to grow because I saw how my anger was hurting them. So my sanctification in some ways brought them value. So I, in a quick, overview, I would say try not to be too worried about it and trust that God's going to keep redeeming you not because you try hard or you're a really good mom but because He's good and He cares and He cares about how you're relating to your daughter even more than you do and will help you. That's the go- I mean, that's a gospel on some level. Yeah. Um, okay, two things. First, it sounds like our situation is similar to yours in that we have three daughters that are very close together. A lot of drama. Yes. And so, um, I had started, I would get aggravated and, you know, go back and praise the way that I had acted. And I've just started editing editing it down and stopping in the moment and praying with them mm. and saying, God, please take her heart and change it. And let's not act this way in this moment. Help us. I'm not strong enough to handle this mm. right now. Because ultimately, that's what I go back and do. Yeah. And I don't know if that's good or not. They kind of look at me like I'm crazy because yeah. they were expecting a different mm-hmm. reaction. Yeah. But I have liked that better. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I'm vulnerable at that moment and yeah. try and take it another way. Yeah. Secondly, like today is one of their birthdays and she's the middle one. She's really wanting me to do all these things with her on her own. And on the way here this morning, it's been everything, you know, by herself. And I'm going, we need this day for your sisters to share with you, not by yourself. Is that the right way to do it, or should you let them have their own individual time? You know, part of that depends on the child's own story and where they are in the moment. They need both, some individual time and some together time. So that may really even depend on just today, on what you guys feel is wisest to do. No, I, I, I don't I don't believe like the Trinitarian relating is you're really individual and you're really together. There really needs to be both. And that's where most kids will preach to you you've got to be fair and do everything the same way. That's the law. That is not the gospel. Gospel is justice. I will use my wisdom to treat each of you individually as we help you to grow together. 
Um, and I like, like, I, I do think the first part of what you said, certainly repentance and your children seeing that is a beautiful way to graft them into the gospel. I would just add one caveat. I, I think we need to do that. But I also think if we're not growing in security of Christ's forgiveness of us, we're then asking our kids to be come into it too much and to be too much of a comfort to us. So you just, I th- believe you have to do it so that they see it, but you also got to think wisely about that. And that's where you need a spouse to help you know where you are in that process. So... It seems, first of all, it seems beautiful that you're suffering with her. Like it, you, like how you explain it doesn't feel to me like you're shoving it down her throat, that you're sensitive to where she's at. And everybody's going to do it different. There's times where, like it was with my oldest who didn't want to go to church, and we're like, okay, you don't have to go. And once or twice she stayed home. And, you know. And I think our our other two, and maybe my middle did it once or twice, but they kind of learned that they, you know, they don't have to go. And kind of, and a lot of times they would express, why do we have to go every Sunday? And I would be like, and we just tried to help them make sense of it. I, I would say, there's times church doesn't minister to me, but I always feel a little bit softer when I leave, like because I've encountered the Lord. So part of like, if if you're telling them it's got to be the greatest thing in the world, they're like, it's not like that to me. Why do you think I I don't you know? So there just has to be some reality as you shepherd them and pastor them, growing up. I think we've got to stop. Let me pray for us real quick. Lord, I I pray whatever was honorable, right, and true that we've talked about, that you would help each person remember for them what you want to speak to them as they care about their own children, Lord God. And just help us as parents to follow you in faith and truth as we try to embody you and uh, love our kids toward you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.